couldn't make that money in a stock market portfolio if we just put that money in the stocks. There was no losing with it. And I think that made it easier, obviously, to kind of go into it. Um, the house was not pretty at all. Like, it was bad. Welcome to the Golden Nuggets of Real Estate Investing, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through real estate. We'll be discussing the most important lessons are better known as the Golden Nuggets of Real Estate Investing, entrepreneurship, and personal finance with new and experienced investors to help you get into real estate investing or scale up your portfolio. So make sure to tune in. What's going on, everyone? It's Ross Nadai. I'm a real estate agent, an investor, and host of the Real Estate Golden Nuggets podcast. I have an amazing episode full of golden nuggets for you. If you like this podcast and gotten any value out of it, please share this far and wide to reach as many people as possible. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave me a five-star review. If you're watching on YouTube, leave me a comment, like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell so that you can stay up to date on the most recent episodes. Thank you so much for your support. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Golden Nuggets. I have a special treat for you guys tonight. I have Amanda Bolin from Saskatchewan. She is a mother of three and is currently sitting in a portfolio of 24 doors. So I'm very excited to have her on board to teach us and then uh, let us know a little bit more about her experience and more importantly, the market uh, in Saskatchewan. So without further ado, Amanda, please uh, give us a little bit of introduction about yourself and talk a little bit how you got started. Well, I'm Amanda Bolin. We're in yeah. Saskatchewan here. We primarily invest here as well. Um, we got started, I think like everyone does, you, you kind of get that interest and you want to pursue it. And it's like real estate is the idea. And as you go down that, that avenue and you start exploring it, you realize all the different opportunities as you educate yourself and learn more and more about it. And so I think we just came to the point one day where we stopped thinking about it and actually started pursuing it. Right, right. So what, what was that extra push that gave you that, uh, you know, uh, ability to go, you know what, like, let's, let's go ahead and, and, and take action versus just, you know, analyzing and looking at things, right? For us, it was a bit different. Uh, we were heavily into oil and gas for a number of years. And that was also part of the reason why we'd never gotten into real estate. It was we were always too busy, you know, what the time wasn't right. We had a young family, all of our kids were too young. And, you know, between that and being with my husband being on the road frequently, it just wasn't something we had time for. And right ironically, it was something in a moment where we were pushed up against the wall. And uh, we had like the oil field was having like a hard time. And a company had actually bailed on us. And we had several uh, quite a bit out in invoicing to them. And basically it was looking like we weren't going to get paid at all. And this is after a long, slow period as well. So it's just like compound upon compound. And it was like, what are we going to do? And that was what gave us the push to actually get started on that first real estate investment. We're like, you know what? we suddenly have the time so we can choose to complain about and, you know, be upset about where we are, or we can do right. something about it. And so it actually gave us the motivation and that push to actually take on our very first flip that we pursued. Wow. So you started with a flip. Wow. That's, that's pretty dangerous for somebody just starting out. So what, what made you decide to go with a flip to begin with? Design is a major passion. Uh, I'm pretty good with budgets in the construction space and in renovations. Mm -hmm. So I think we had analyzed enough deals and really had kind of, I was constantly looking at deals. I was constantly analyzing and being like, hey, we should do this. We should do this one. And I don't think my husband was quite ready to pull the trigger yet. So I think that was kind of for us, I guess, at that time, 
we saw rentals as being something down the road. Multifamily was something we wanted to do eventually when we grew to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that was kind of the motivator. We really didn't know anything different. It was single family housing rentals is what we're familiar with or right. flipping was our idea of real estate. It was very limited at that time. What we knew about how vast real estate can actually be. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's very common because people watch, you know, the uh, HGTV uh, shows and they think, you know what, that's, that's investing. Like I need to buy a property, fix it. And then I sell it back in the market, right? It's a very common, uh, I think, cons- uh, misconsumption from a lot of folks uh, that are new. But as you know, there's so many different avenues, right? And I'm, I'm sure you're going to talk about some of the uh, areas that you're now working on. So uh, now, before we you got into the flipping, you did mention you were analyzing. So, did you have any sort of education piece to that beforehand, or was it just you know something you just picked up from a podcast, or you had books you read? Like, what what helped you there? I think it was a combination. So, we had completely gut renovated our own personal residence, um, and you know, I priced out a lot of things. I budgeted. We'd hired some stuff out. We had a good amount of skills ourselves. Uh, so I knew from that realistic numbers and then other things that we had done small projects. Um, and so that was kind of where knowing the numbers and being pretty familiar with it, I was confident in that area. Um, the other side of it was books. I read through quite a few books. Um, I can't think of some of them right off the top of my head, um, but they really broke down everything you need to consider, including the clothes, like all those soft costs, I call that are actually quite hard when you, when you start writing <laughs> them down, right? You know, your sale costs and all those things, um, your holding costs, your utilities, all that kind of stuff. So I actually had line items for all of those and pretty good estimates on all of them and rounded everything up on that first deal. And I rounded our potential sale price down. So I figured I had padded our deal enough that if it worked the way I had ran the numbers, mm-hmm. it probably would be successful, it had a high probability and it was. Right. So, so were you confident on the purchase price? And did you, by the way, did you find it on the market or was it off market? Like how did you, where did you build the confidence that to say, you know what, this will give me the cushion that I need? Yeah. So it was actually on the market, but I, we had decided to go ahead with a flip and there was another property we were actually looking at. And when I had called to ask about the property, the agent informed me that it was actually uh, sold. And I'm like, well, it's still on here. So maybe conditions haven't been lifted. Is it conditional? Is it sold? And she's like, no, it's sold. So I'm like, but it's still up here. I can still see it. Right. (laughs) You know, and I just, I wanted to be sure that it was a firm deal. And she's like, literally the guy next door is pulling condition. Like he's putting the paperwork in. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, (laughs) But uh, while I was doing that, I pulled up the MLS and there was a property there. And it was almost identical to what we were planning on buying, but it was significantly less. And I was like, wait, what? What is this? And I actually thought it was a property that had been misplaced on the map. Like sometimes on the MLS, you'll look at something and it's actually in another city somehow. I don't know what the glitch happens. Mm -hmm. Um, But so I actually didn't even think it was there. So I pulled up Google Maps while I was on the phone with the agent. And uh, my husband was at the time working on a project. He was on night shifts. And uh, so he was sleeping and the agent like, you know, I'm telling her about this place. And she's like, Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. That's not on the market yet. And you know, there's nothing there. And I was like, No, I'm looking at it right now. We need to put an offer on this like right now. And apparently it had just like just hit the market. And so we actually found it sort of by chance, I was taking action on another property and happened to notice this anomaly. So it was the exact same product, um, same type of property, a little bit different, I guess, in terms of what we were going to do with it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it was about 40% less, which was insane. I couldn't believe it. I honestly could not <laughs> believe it. We just like, we'll, we'll take it. We will take. Wow. That, that's amazing. So did you, did you pull out like some sort of uh, inspection on the property and so forth? Did you go firm? Like what, what's the common, uh, uh, I guess, strategy there in, in Saskatchewan? Is it, is it uh, pretty common to get firm deals like GTA or is it a little bit, you still have a little bit of leeway there? Uh, in that market, we had leeway. Uh, in Saskatchewan as a whole, I think that's very rare that somebody would put a deal. Like I always see that and I'm like, why are you guys doing that? <laughs> um, but we have like a fair bit of grace. And so we did go all cash on the deal. And we also said um, two weeks closing. So pretty quick. Wow. And I did put a clause in there just because, like I said, Kirk had no idea about this thing. The reason why I was confident paying for it the way we were is I knew what lot value was in the area. Mm-hmm. And this was below lot value. And so to me, it was just like a no brainer. Like we had three options with this place. We could plow it over and do an infill. We could simply buy it and sell it to another developer and let them develop it. Or we could flip the property. So there's three very viable options. And that's where I felt confident moving ahead on it. So I did have one seven day escape clause just in case Kirk hit the panic button. Like, what did you just do? (laughs) You just put in an all cash offer on this deal. And so it was a fairly uh, reasonable deal. It was a great deal to start with in terms of cost. Um, But yeah, so that was kind of how the first property came about. It wasn't, you know, I... I guess it happened to pop up while I was taking action on another property. Yeah. And I absolutely love the fact that you had, you know, three different exit strategies, right? You went with not just, I'm going to flip it no matter what. It was like, no, if this fails, I got B and C, right? Which is very, very key because unfortunately, as much as we like to get excited and there's emotions involved, you got to take the emotions out of it because at the end of the day, it is numbers game, right? And it is a business. So I'm glad that you had those uh, contingency plans just in place. So Tell me a little bit about the numbers. So what did you purchase this at and what type of renovations did you do? Hold your seat. The purchase price was $40,000. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, what? I was like, what? Is it a single of, family or what? It was a what single family house um, in a smaller city, but still at that time, that was like unheard of. Like I said, this was about 40% below lot value for that type, probably even less, like it might've actually been like almost 50%. Wow. Um, so I just knew, like I said, it was guaranteed. I'm like, we could, you couldn't make that money in a stock market portfolio if we just put that money in the stocks mm-hmm. in the sense of if we just simply bought it and sat on it until a developer bought it. Like right. it, there was no losing with it. And I think that made it easier, obviously to kind of go into it. Um, the house was not pretty at all. Like it was bad. Uh, I didn't know to what extent it was bad because I didn't see it for till later. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like I said, we knew that no matter what, it was something was going to come up the deal. And Mm -hmm. whether it was sitting on it and plowing the house over and just, you know, keeping the grass cut and moving along. So that was really okay. So we bought it for $40,000. Our total all in budget on the place, we got lucky on a few key items. Like I didn't have to replace the siding in the end and I didn't have to replace the roof, which we were expecting to do. Um, And so we didn't have some of those major costs. We only put 65 into it all in, uh, including like our sale costs. So that was everything all in. We did do sweat equity. There was some sweat equity. We spent about six weeks on the project. Right. Um, or eight weeks, pardon me. It was eight weeks on the renovation. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we did hire trades alongside of us to obviously keep it moving, to be able to be done in that kind of time period. Mm-hmm. And then we sold it at, uh, $172,000. Wow, that's that's a that's a really good project and a and a good one to begin with, really, right? <laughs> so you so again, just to go back to numbers, you bought it for forty. Sounds like you spent sixty thousand on Renos, you said, or was that included 65. with the price? Yeah, no, we forty plus sixty five. Um, sixty five included are all of our holding costs, sale costs, like everything all in that we put into it. Right, uh, and then right. the remainder was profit. Wow, beautiful. Yeah, that's that's a that's a home run right there, <laughs> especially for the first project. Uh, so from there, what happened next? Like, what did you do from there? So you got the profits. Now what? Yeah. Uh, now we went to look for another flip because <laughs> why not? Um, you know, we had high expectations and, uh, it had gone very well. We had sold it within four days of hitting the market. We'd priced right. it well. Like, you know, the person who got it got great value in a beautiful home. And that was, mm-hmm. you know, we took something that was, you know, forgotten and walked away from and uh, then we kind of, we came back, I guess, like, cause this was out of town. It wasn't a, a flip where we lived. Right. Um, and we just kind of started looking for an, the next deal. And I guess, I think it was about maybe four weeks after possession that we were under contract on the next property. And so we took on a second one, uh, more expensive, like a normal bungalow uh, that one was about $171,000 on the purchase price mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then rinsed and repeated and did that second flip. So I guess it was about within a six month period of time from the start of that first one to the second finished one. So it was pretty quick, I guess, in the big picture, but it felt right. like there was a bit slower in between. Yeah. So again, I'm assuming at this point in time, you definitely had some con- good contractors that you can rely on. You knew they can turn things things around, and you had the financing in, in place. So, with the two uh, projects, sounds like what what was the the, the profit of, of around hundred k? I would assume, yeah. or a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. So within six months, you made hundred k basically. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's <laughs> I what I mean. That's why I love real estate because nothing will give you that kind of return. Like literally. <laughs> Yeah. And I think that's like, you know, and some of that, you know, there's some sweat equity in there for us, but at the same time, yeah, we had trades, we had plumbers, we had, you know, the second one, we had more, like we hired out demo, we hired, we probably hired out way more on the second one, Mm -hmm. Uh, just to keep things moving along. Also, because our kids were actually back in school and this was out of town. So it wasn't like we could both just be there to be, you know, to push the project through or whichever. Um, and so that really changed on that second one to help, help keep moving things along as well. And to keep within those tight timelines. Um, but yeah, so within that, you can't get returns like that in a lot of places, but real estate, you certainly can. Absolutely. So, so when, from there, did you transition now into more buy and hold? I'm assuming you have a portfolio, right? So, um, I guess after that, did you guys decide, you know what, we want more, is it cash flow that you're after or is it more equity gain? Like what, what is the long-term plan uh, for you guys right now? Long-term plan is definitely building a large uh, multifamily portfolio uh, and really take care of that, I'll say, semi-passive income. You're always going to have to take care of your business to some degree, whether you're mm-hmm. managing or not managing, there's still something to manage. Um, but yeah, so that's our big goal. And just to keep creating that financial independence, we've been self-employed for a number of years. I left my job at the mines uh, quite a while ago, but our actual other business, it's it's been a long time that we have been self-employed. So it has been nice to be that, but really just create something that's more stable and consistent 
and also that it's growing in value every year over year. And that's been hugely important to us. So that's where we shifted into the multifamily space. And I think that second flip, you know, we were in that. And the beautiful thing about during these flips, my husband and I actually did a lot of audiobooks, a ton of just, you know, chatting back and forth and talking about our, you know, where we want to head, what we want to grow, what like who we want to become. And so it was really neat what was able to grow out of those flips. So it was that kind of in that second flip that we were like, why don't like, why do we have to wait for multifamily? Like, maybe this is something we can pursue a whole lot sooner. And so it was always something that we thought we would grow into, like flip our way until we had enough capital to like start to pursue that kind of dream and, and start to get, you know, those 16 units at a time or 12 or whichever. Right. And so it was during that time, it, the question became like, why should we wait? Like, what if we could do it sooner than we thought? And so it was really during that second flip that we actually made the decision to say, like, we're going to go after it. We weren't 100% sure how or, or how that was going to look. We were listening to a lot of stuff and reading a lot during that process. Um, and so it was just it really came down to just a decision we made where we're like, let's let's do it. Let's go for it. We don't have to wait. Uh, your portfolio, is it primarily of five plex and more or do you have like single family duplexes or, or what does your portfolio consist of currently? We have two 12 unit properties. So not uh, large, like multiple buildings, but we do have two 12 units. We got our first 12 unit April 1st of 2020, we took possession. And then the second 12 unit, we uh, February of 2021 here, we got uh, possession of it. Okay. And I have to ask, what were the prices and what, <laughs> how did you get the financing in order? Uh, the, the both of them were north of a million um, in that 1.1 to 1.25 range. Uh, the first deal we did CMHC right out of the gate. Uh, we were able to do some creative strategies in terms of with a vendor take back, uh, and we were able to get really preferable financing with CMHC with their 85% LTV. Uh, we stacked that with a 13.5% BTV and had to come to the table with 1.5% down on the first building. Wow. <laughs> I love that. That's, that's what it is. You know, like, that's what I was trying to get at because you went from the mindset of let me flip, save some money to now owning two, you know, multi-unit buildings and that too, in a creative way, right? You didn't have to cough up the money and come up with the eight, you know, 25% down payment, right? You figured a way where you can, you know, have some uh, vendor take back and also get some CMHC loan. Um, so what does that cash flow look like in those properties? It's pretty solid. <laughs> this is this is the beautiful thing about Saskatchewan. Uh, Saskatchewan went through a huge slump uh, with rents post oil crash. Our natural resources it just like it went pretty bad between fifteen and eighteen. Eighteen, mm-hmm. we started to see some flattening out. Nineteen, we started to see that uptick. Nineteen was like when I was like, we need to start thinking about rentals because this is the great time. We were we were reading about market cycles, and right. I was like, oh my gosh, Saskatchewan's at the bottom. <laughs> like. This is great. It can't get worse. And, and, you know, rents had sat flat for quite a while at that point. Uh, And then in 19, when I started to see that little bit of uptick, when I was looking at the CMHC numbers, I was like, oh my goodness, this is the point where we need to get in. And so to be able to get in in 20 and 21 here, where we are seeing consistent rent increases, not, not anything like that's out East by any stretch. Um, But we're seeing like a good amount of stability. You're buying off the books, multifamily. That's what I love about the commercial space you're buying based on the numbers. And so if you're buying it, you know, at a specific cap rate for your market, you know, you're going to have that cash flow out of the gate. And especially with interest rates right now, it's, it's crazy uh, right. how cheap money is. It feels like it's almost free. 
Um, so both of those properties are doing, you know, fairly well. Uh, my, or one property is like, I, my mind is blown by that one, but we're sitting, you know, in that two to 4,000, depending on which property we're talking about, uh, for each property. Wow. Beautiful. Beautiful. So w- what does the market rent look like? And then those, those units that you got, are they consisting of, you know, bachelor units, uh, one bedroom or two bedrooms, or like, what, what does the building units look like? Uh, they're two very different products. Uh, so the one building is, you know, it's a 12 unit, uh, you know, walk up and it has 11 one, one bedrooms and a bachelor suite in it. Okay. Uh, so it's, you know, it's near the university. It's a great location in a great area. Um, we, we just love it. And that was our first building. So we're like, Oh, <laughs> it's so cute. I'm just, kidding. <laughs> um, and then the next building is a bit different. It's more like they're not townhouses, like two story. They're like single level, uh, no basement, uh, two and three bedroom units. So it's not specifically a seniors building, but it's a great product for perhaps, um, a tenant with mobility issues. Um, right. But that's not specifically what it is. It just, mm-hmm. it, it fits very well. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's f- phenomenal. Yeah. So, so where in Saskatchewan are these? Are they in Saskatoon? Like which, which cities are you investing in right now? Right now we're right here in the Saskatoon market. We love the, we love the city as a whole. We've talked a bit about that. Um, Saskatoon is great. Like there's a lot of businesses kind of moving in. There's a lot of jobs, uh, there's a lot of immigration coming into here right now, I think across Canada as a whole, but in terms of, you know, we're in the top 10 for growing cities in the country. Uh, even that demographics surprised us a bit, you know, as we've been watching the numbers. And I think COVID kind of hid that a bit because we didn't have students here. Right. Uh, a lot of stuff was online in 2020. But here in 2021, uh, when schools were announced to be back in, it really became evident how much, you know, there is starting to become a housing crunch. And I think we're going to actually see a pretty good compression again on vacancy rates because we've had those coming down to a good healthy level in the last couple of years. But I think this year we'll be sitting really, I really competitively low uh, in favor of, you know, the owners. Right, right. And then within those markets, I mean, what what does an average bachelor unit look like market rent wise at one bedroom or two and three bedroom? Um, It's very different. So it depends on the areas of the city. Uh, in our areas, I put them as like a B to like B plus, like they're quality, good neighborhoods, you know, walkable, right. uh, the one neighborhood is a top five walkable area in Saskatoon. So it's very desirable. Um, a bachelor unit is around 800. Um, maybe I'm, I'm seeing, I haven't turned over our bachelor unit in a while, so that's good. Um, but it's kind of, that's on the uptick. So you're about 800, 900 for a one bedroom for a basic clean apartment. Uh, would be pretty standard. If you're bumping it to a renovated something or another, you might be pushing, you know, 950, 995 kind of thing for, mm-hmm. for a one bedroom. And then right. the twos and threes, you know, they're going up from there. So I think we're, we're anywhere from a thousand to 1250. Yeah. Well, those are really good numbers. Um, but in terms of actual rules, if you're able to stick to the rules, which are pretty fair, mm-hmm. um, it's pretty landlord friendly. You know, we don't have limits to rent increases. We don't have a lot of those kinds of things that, you know, maximum increases per year. Now, we don't have a market that allows the kind of increases that can be seen out east in, you know, turned over units necessarily. Um, but overall, the only restriction that we do have is that you have to give 12 months. This is the down one 
uh, 12 months notice for rent increases to existing tenants that are not on a lease, like if they're month to month, unless you're part of the Saskatchewan Landlord Association, and then you can do it in six months, which is still quite a while. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, it's, it's, it's reasonable and it's totally workable. So that's the big key here in Saskatchewan is to stick to leases versus month to month rents. Right, right. That's interesting. Yeah, because in, in here it's kind of the other way around. People want to do month to month and not do yearly in case something goes down, right? Um, and then in terms of eviction, so let's just say uh, tenants aren't paying rent and they are in a lease. Like, how soon can you get evictions done? I know COVID obviously has slowed down a lot of things, but is that something? reasonably done and and fairly quickly done in in Saskatchewan. We've been fortunate to, um, we have had an eviction, but we've been pretty fortunate with that in it not taking any sort of amount of time um, and not really being out a whole lot or if any, like overall, I guess the way ours have gone. I've heard of worst case scenarios, like when somebody's fighting it, you know, that could drag on. So I would say pretty reasonably like here in Saskatchewan, if you haven't paid rent on the 15th, you can serve. Um, and then within, I believe a week or two of that, you have your papers to have the bailiff come in. Um, usually within two to three, you know, two weeks to four weeks, you're, you're kind of, you should have possession back of your unit unless there is a dragged on process that I would say would be an anomaly here. And I would say the exception to that would be wintertime. Like, they are my, what I've heard from fellow landlords is that basically come winter time, they kind of put a pause on that till spring. Mm. Um, but at the same time, overall, like I haven't, I, I personally don't, I know quite a few landlords and I haven't heard major horror stories. So maybe it's just that nice, kind Sask- Saskatchewan people. <laughs> <laughs> and then in terms of, I know you touched up on a little bit in terms of the industry, I know oil and gas is huge, but what other uh, specific industries and jobs are, are you seeing? Uh, emerging in Saskatchewan right now? Potash is having a bit of a comeback. Uh, There's been a pretty large expansion or slash opening of another mine uh, about an hour out as well. I believe that's Potash. Don't hold me to it. Uh, So with increasing prices here as a whole. So we have uranium, we have gold mines, we have, I don't know, there's all kinds of odds and ends, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of what we have for mining. Uh, I guess, so that's a big one. And right now some of those companies are doing well and are coming back. The big one, like I said, uh, out by Humboldt, that one's opening up BHP announced like they've already sunk billions into the infrastructure below ground. So now it sounds like they're actually going to go ahead with the opening. So in the next few years, that's going to really boom for that community. Right. And then tech is actually one of those new up and comers in Saskatoon, where I think people like affordable office space kind of the environment Saskatoon's environment is really vibrant you know there's usually a lot of festivals and music and and we have lots of really great little restaurants and the whole downtown core so it's very vibrant in terms of attracting a younger family crowd or just in general younger crowd that way so tech is is opening up and setting up there's a few homegrown companies here that are actually taking off and are quite you know doing quite well from my understanding I think some of them are going to be going public soon uh, otherwise it's, it's very much like a mishmash. Cause when we look around, we're like, what is going on? And it's, it's, <laughs> it's a lot of just different little things that are happening. And so I think just as a whole, people in Saskatoon are excited about the affordable cost of living our overall, you know, the cost and expense of general life here. And mm-hmm. so I think that's drawing a lot of people here to come and set up shop, uh, in Saskatchewan. You know, we, like I said, there's been quite a bit of immigration, 
I know that as well that we're, you know, there's been a lot of push to that. And I think also being a university city, you know, I've always said that, you know, the university is stable and it's never going anywhere. And then COVID happened. It's like, it was kind of weird. <laughs> surprise. Um, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> there's like hardly anybody. Um, and, but even still, there were still students in the area looking for a place because they didn't want to look like nobody wanted to live on campus. Like there was nothing yeah. happening on campus and there was nothing to do and you couldn't do anything. So people were looking off campus still even last year. So I guess it's quite a wide, we know we have agriculture. Uh, so quite a wide variety happening here in, in Saskatchewan yeah, right now. That, that's awesome to know because uh, generally speaking, we think of oil and gas immediately, right? When you think of yeah. uh, Saskatchewan, for instance. So it's good that there's other emerging markets. And that I'm sure gives you the confidence that, you know what, this is an emerging market and it's going to continue to grow so that you can continue to invest. Now, what, what are your thoughts about investing in other cities of Saskatchewan, like Regina, for instance? Have you looked into that? I mean, I think that's the second biggest city. I grew up in Regina. I was born and raised there. And uh, yeah. it's it's a great city. I don't want to get shot here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I would, it's not like it's not like that. Um I, I, I struggle with Regina and I think a large part of that is uh, one of the things I think about in real estate, sometimes people focus too much on the price per door when they're looking at a market without looking into the details of what's around that. And one of the things Regina has is, is fair bit higher property taxes than Saskatoon. I've noticed in the multifamily space right? and the price per door is pretty darn similar. So that eats up your cash flow in a hurry when you're shelling it out in taxes. You know, it's a nice community. It's a nice city and it might be for the right person. And I think there's deals to be found in any city, uh, regardless of of thoughts on it. We personally aren't looking there. Um, But if you can find a deal that cash flows and makes sense, like I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shying away from it in Regina. Yeah. It's very much a government town, I guess would be the best way of putting it. So it's very, a lot of government jobs, uh, you know, pretty steady Eddie that way. So it's not a bad city. It's just, it's very different. Right. And then generally speaking, whenever there's a, a big city, there's also a small little markets or pockets, right? So that a little bit more affordable, you can say, folks that commute, I'm sure, right, uh, from mm-hmm. the city into the little suburb area. So are there still little pockets around Saskatoon that are, you think, are emerging or are growing? Yeah, there's like little at Regina and Saskatoon both have uh, little bedroom communities that aren't you know, so much just bedroom communities anymore. They're starting to have their own little shops and popping up. And so, yeah, there's like a good amount um, around both of the cities in terms of small communities that are growing or strong or vibrant, you know, lots of growth happening in them. Um, people are willing to commute in. Uh, and then the cities themselves, like we're pretty affordable as a whole for housing within the city. So it kind of just depends on what people are looking for their lifestyle for their families right. and, um, and how they want to live. So usually if they're moving to the smaller areas, they're typically moving to have more room, uh, you know, a little bit more room in a yard and, you know, some of the perks that you might not have as much of in the city. With that said, I mean, uh, uh, what are some challenges that you face there and in, uh, investing in that region? Uh, I'd say not a lot of inventory is probably one of the biggest challenges. There's a lot of investors looking. There's a lot. We're competing with a lot of, you know, Eastern investors. You know, I see some of them on my Instagram and I'm like, I know that street. You're, <laughs> you're in our stomping <laughs> ground. I'm just kidding. Um, but kind of, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so I'd say that's probably one of the biggest challenges right now. And I think that's just a challenge in general in real estate. And I don't know if that ever goes away. There's always somebody looking for something and it's really just being willing to look for that anomaly or see something that maybe wasn't missed or getting the inside scoop and getting that off market deal 
right. uh, first. And that's kind of, you know, being on the prowl. So I think that's probably the one of the biggest hurdles. Uh, it took us quite a while to get that first deal under contract to actually track one down, to, you know, get our, our bid accepted and right. actually be able to move ahead. So that was probably one of our biggest hurdles is finding something that meets our criteria. Like we want to see cash flow. I'm not willing to buy something that's not going to actually have a return on it. For sure. And, and by the way, did you find those on market? Or was there off market, the, the two properties you, you purchased? The first one was completely off market. It was a private sale. And the second one was a pocket. Uh, so it was kind of, it was through agents, um, but it was somewhere where I had gotten the scoop before it, it didn't go to the MLS. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, because that's, that's the best way to beat the market or beat the other buyers, you can say. <laughs> uh, what about contractors? Is, is it a challenge uh, to, to hire contractors or trades? Because of course, they're also in high demand. Yeah, I think it is to some degree... You know, we do a lot of our own renovations. Uh, we have been fortunate enough now to start to meet people. So it's just some jobs I don't do just because mm-hmm. it's A, I'm busy, B, I don't need to do everything to have a successful business. Um, that's the beautiful thing about the commercial space is like you can budget for that and chances are there's going to be a good return in it. <laughs> um, right. You know, you can afford it and be able to do that. So we have, you know, been fortunate to start to grow that. And I think that's relational based as well. So as we found people that work great, we just try to keep them busy or, you know, connect them with others and that kind of thing. So we're pretty good right now. Um, you know, they're not necessarily mainstream brands in that sense. We found really great, uh, you know, owner operators and word of mouth. And that's worked out really fantastic for us. So Amanda, what's next for you? I mean, uh, it sounds like, are you still continuing to do flip on the side more for the active side of the business? Or are you more focused now on just, you know, continue to grow your portfolio and more um, focus on the buy and holds. Like I said, I enjoy the design side and uh, we laugh about it a bit because I'm like, man, I have the itch to do a project, but I don't know that it's necessarily a flip. I mean, we did well on our flips, uh, so it's not necessarily off the table. I find Saskatoon specifically probably wouldn't flip here. I know flippers here that seem to love it and are keep doing it. And I'm sure they're doing well. I personally haven't found a deal that I'd be worth you know, willing to pursue. Um, but yeah, so what we are doing for more of that side of things is we have a land development. And so that's one of the things we're going to go ahead and do is actually do a new construction home for that same thing. So it's the same idea as a flip, except for just instead of having to demo anything right. <laughs> or deal with any surprise, you just have your budget to begin with. And so, uh, yeah, so that's something we are going to do in terms of for the active capital side is to, uh, build the house and get some of the design stuff. And that's something that I just simply enjoy doing. Um, but really the purpose in that is really to move into multifamily. I, our bigger picture goal would be, we'd love to actually start developing new construction multifamily. And so that's something down the road. And so it's just building up to that. So I would say that that's not necessarily our focus. That's something mm-hmm. that we kind of do. It's like when you're completely self-employed, you just, you have different avenues and different streams and different ways you do things. Um, and then in the process of that, I'm still actively looking for a next multifamily deal. So we are definitely pursuing that. Uh, we're in a position to, you know, move ahead on another one here as soon as we can find it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so that's kind of, that's the big one. And so, yeah, so I'd say it's kind of a twofold thing, but our bigger, I would say our more time intensive focus would be the multifamily space and, and pursuing another deal there. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. It's just, it's one of those 
you, you, you can't stop that itch. You're always itching to get the next property. I know exactly how that feels. <laughs> In terms of just like the, the methods that you're using. So it sounds like, are you still like burning these projects? So how is the refinance look like? Are, are you able to pull in some, you know, equity back and pull out your, you know, capital that you put in the down payment or the renovations? Are, they, are you getting like perfect burrs or nearly burrs? Like, is it possible to do a perfect burr in that region? Uh, yes, in the single family space, absolutely. Uh, in the multifamily space, potentially, like right now, I'll, I'll let you know and confirm when we cross that line officially. Yeah. Uh, right now, we're sitting, we're kind of like a slow burr method. So our first property, because we did get it uh, in CMHC right away, we won't be refinancing that for five years. However, mm-hmm. the cash flow from that will return our capital that's into the deal before that five years is up. So just from cash flow. So that one will become its own kind of burr. You know, we're doing the value add, we're, 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 you know, raising rents, we are uh, renovating that kind of thing. Um, And so that one will get a refinance component, but it won't be until the five-year point, just because we were already into that CMHC financing out of the gate. The second property we were actually going to put in CMHC financing as well, uh, until we realized that we had a pretty significant amount of equity we'd be able to add and that we were also getting on the buy. And so because of that, we put it into a two-year uh, financing plan. Um, so pretty quick, I guess, in terms of multifamily. And so we have a two-year target to hit for rents. And then at that point, we will do that one should be 100% clean burr on the refi. So provided everything continues as it is with that property, we don't see that being any sort of issue uh, come the refinance. Yeah. You know what? That, that's the biggest question that I always have, right? When I'm, I'm, I'm interested, of course, and looking at outside Ontario at this point, like you hear these, you know, numbers and in, in other uh, provinces like New Brunswick is another huge one. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, what worries me is just like, Hey, if I purchase a property there, is my money parked for a certain amount of years or can I recycle it, right? Like how soon can I get out of the deal so I can continue yeah. go, move, building that momentum and getting another next property and so forth, right? So um, I know in our pursuit of this deal, we probably would have pushed for a quicker burr interim financing of some kind if we had known how much we could have done on the value add. I was really conservative on it because the product was very different than anything anybody I knew had. Uh, so I wasn't 100% sure we could, drive the value uh, as quickly as we have on that property. And so right now, I think like we could probably refinance if we were wanting to by spring mm-hmm. and be like good to go, but we'll ride out another full year cycle, which doesn't bother us in any stretch. It's got good cash flow. We plan for two years. It doesn't really affect things one way or another, but the funds will get recycled and people will be able to move along. So that one's done really well. So I, I would say it's possible it's right. just finding that that right property to meet those needs. Yeah, for sure. That's the deal is uh, probably the hardest thing to find and the most critical. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's now go to, our, I guess, our end of our podcast. Amanda, if, if, if you could su- suggest anyone, let's say one uh, book or audio book or something to listen to or read, what would that be? Uh, Psycho-Cybernetics. Have you read that? No. <laughs> it's Kerpal. <laughs> Plot twist. <laughs> uh, it's not a real estate book. It's not an investing book. It's a uh, psychology book, a mindset book, and a plastic surgeon wrote it. And basically, in a synopsis of it, is he started down the whole 
road of why we think the way we think about ourselves or how we act Mm -hmm. because he would do plastic surgery on people and realize like some people would have huge changes, whether it was from a horrific accident. Um, but their mental break couldn't let them see that change that happened. And other people, he would do like the most revision that he could hardly tell. And they would feel like their whole world changed. And so he's like, how could that even be? And so leave it to somebody who's not in the industry to like head down that road. And so he wrote this book basically on his findings and his study of how we see ourselves and how we carry ourselves and what we do in life based on our thoughts and our own self-image. So it's a really neat book. I know it sounds like off in La La Land, but it is honestly a major game changer for my husband and I in being willing to step into seven figure deals for our first rental properties. Yeah, fantastic. I definitely have to read that one out. If there is, you know, one piece of advice you can give somebody starting out besides taking action, (laughs) what would that be? Start sooner. (laughs) Oh, wait, is that kind of the same thing? I would say, you know, really decide what you want. Big picture. What do you want? And And not just what do you think you're capable of doing right now? Like, really, what do you actually want in life? Like, what is your ideal lifestyle? And that it could be very different from yours, from mine, from whoever's, but genuinely to dig down and really decide for yourself, what does your ideal life look like? Like, what does that, is it, you know, your home every evening and you're relaxing with your family, you're doing whatever. Is it like you have this dream life where you're globe trotting and doing whichever, like, but being really honest what that actually means for yourself and then being okay with saying what's the next step to get there. So it is kind of a taking action, but it's actually just really making a decision, a committed decision for what you actually want in life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You have to be really clear on, on, on your goals, right? And I think that really helps. Um, and uh, I love that you mentioned that you're on the strategy as well. It's very common for folks to, to jump in from one to another and they either feel they don't know much about it or uh, it, it was like, a, uh, I was, I'm reading a book right now. Um, I'm sure you read it. Think, Grow, and Rich. Mm-hmm. There was a, a section that says something like about general knowledge and specialized knowledge, right? So if, if you're general, you, you can't really go far with that. You know, a little bit here, a little bit there. But when you specialize, that takes you, the trajectory goes like this, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because you, you constantly are implementing the strategy or using the knowledge and putting it into perspective. So definitely, definitely, I, I totally agree on that. Awesome. Um, so for folks that want to connect with you, Amanda, how could they uh, find you? You can find me on Instagram at multifamilyamanda. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you so much, Amanda, for, for joining me this evening and uh, providing us a ton of golden nuggets, uh, especially for folks, like I said, that are very interested in Saskatchewan. This will be definitely a must listen. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll catch you in the next one. And who knows, you may be tripling or quadrupling your portfolio soon. <laughs> I should hope so. I should hope so. <laughs> we would love to soon. Thank Absolutely. you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I hope you were able to get some great golden nuggets out of it. The kindest thing that you could do is share this podcast across all social media to help as many people as possible. If you like this podcast or have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram or YouTube. I love bouncing ideas, people, and I love talking real estate. Thanks so much. I'll see you in the next episode. Remember, financial freedom is just a few properties away.